The Tribulation Part 9, if anyone's keeping count. Before we turn to an examination of the first trumpet, I'd like to address something which some of you may have seen as an omission on my part. Our focus thus far during our study of the tribulation period has been on the three series of seven judgments or plagues delivered by heaven upon earth, the seals, the trumpets, and coming up, the seven bowls or vials, depending on your translation, bowls of wrath. <laughs> Prior to this, in session seven, the tribulation fork, we looked at what the church would be experiencing in heaven during the seven-year tribulation on earth. With that focus on the three judgments, we have not discussed what else will be going on on earth leading up to and during the tribulation period. Such things as Daniel 2 prophecy about the four kingdoms, the four beasts, and the ten horns of Daniel 7, and the various passages in Ezekiel, etc. There are many components to the last things, and one cannot address them all at once. Nor can one simply address them in logical, sequential order, how I wish we could. None of the prophecies or narratives do that. One must skip around through God's Word to establish a sequence. Much of these prophecies and others will indeed be addressed when we reach the parenthetical visions at the beginning of the seventh trumpet found in Revelation chapters 12 to 15. At that time, we'll look back at the earlier prophecies that laid the groundwork for these judgments. Simeon, could we see chart 11, please? The trumpets. Thank you. We'll be using this for the next several sessions. As I stated last week, the trumpet icons in chart number 11 reveal that just as with the seals, the first four are different from the others. The judgments of the first four trumpets are directed toward natural objects, vegetation, the sea and its creatures, rivers and springs, and then celestial objects. Whereas the fifth and sixth judgments, in addition to being utterly bizarre, are directed toward mankind. Yet, of course, in all of them, mankind suffers greatly and some die, we are told. The first four trumpets do not crescendo in intensity or effect as did the first four seals, but are instead directed at different portions of the natural world. In our session this week, we'll not make much forward progress. We're not going to get beyond the first trumpet. Why, you may ask. The reason is that I'm going to take this opportunity to illustrate what I believe our approach should be to the increasingly fantastical imagery in Revelation. 
I've been giving much thought. You you think some things go over my head, but things are said in class, questions are posed, and then I spend the whole next week thinking about them. Sometimes much to Linda's chagrin. I've been giving much thought this week to the point raised by Stephen last week, the questions. This business of interpretation put in simple, broad terms, literal interpretation, what I would collect together into as political, which can be, or societal, or metaphorical, different ways to approach this. So now is a good time to establish some procedural parameters to guide our interpretation. To do this, I will detail and discuss even more than usual, yes, I'm sorry, the methods and facts behind my conclusions and why this is so important to our study of this most complicated, challenging study. But this is just for this time. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to such depth from now on. This is to illustrate, okay? Don't, don't start throwing things. So, we're at the first trumpet, Revelation 8, 7, vegetation. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, before we dig into this, let's, we have a parallel to this judgment in one of the plagues in Egypt. Turn, please, to Exodus, Exodus chapter 9. And Scott, this is our only reading, so take a break. Exodus 9, let's read verses 23 to 25. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell, and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. So back to our passage in Revelation. The first sounded. Some of our versions leave out the word trumpet. For example, NASB, King James versions. Some include it. ESV, NIV, CSB, ABC. The, the Greek is salpizo. Salpinx is the noun for trumpet. And salpizo is the verb, which means not just to sound or blow anything, but to explicitly sound a trumpet. So it's a little redundant to include trumpet, but some of our translations do that just to make it clear. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood thrown to the earth. There are many interpreters and expositors 
who favor a non-literal understanding of the judgments. Either pointing, just this morning, having my cinnamon toast this morning, I flipped the channels, and there's a guy telling me he's reading a passage from chapter 13 in Revelation, and he's explaining, ah, well, this means the Roman Empire. I flipped to another channel. I'm already confused enough. Get away from me. They like to point either back to some historic event, political situation, and for the purposes of this discussion, I include under this label political, symbolic, metaphorical, or figurative. No, I said that wrong. Sorry, skipped a line. Under the label of political, I include governmental, cultural, even religious situations, Catholic Church, Roman Empire. Or it, they understand it as symbolic, metaphorical, or figurative. As to a consideration of the first four trumpets, although they may disagree on precisely how they came about, most everyone accepts the plagues of Egypt as literal. They happened the way they're described. They were literal, physical events. That being the case, there is no good reason to turn around and declare that these judgments and plagues, some of which are so similar to the ones in Egypt, in Revelation are merely fanciful descriptions of political turmoil or warfare between nation-states. One commentator I read, this is, gives you an idea of what I'm up against. One commentator I read claimed that the bloodshed under the trumpets spoke of the bloodshed in World War I. No, unless a strong and explicit textual reason can be put forth, we take these to describe events just as they are described in God's Word. I love the response I discovered it this week, offered by J.A. Seiss, I think it's Seiss, S-E-I-S-S, Doctor of Divinity, in his series of lectures on the apocalypse to those who would politicize or otherwise see them as simply metaphorical. This is what Seiss said, I take the language as it stands. This book does not give things veiled, but unveiled. It is the apocalypse, the uncovering. The results here described are heralded by the sound of a trumpet. What is published by a trumpet is no longer a secret. The phenomena are of a very stupendous sort. But the actors are archangels, the occasion is the day of judgment, and the business is the closing up of the history of a doomed world. In such a case, we may well look for wonders. God has also declared his purpose to renew the miracles of Egypt and to do marvelous things, like unto what he did in the days of 
Israel's deliverance. Micah 7.15, Jeremiah 23.7-8. The plagues of Egypt were literal realities. They were miracles of judgment, such as has never been since on earth. And if it is the design of God to repeat them on a larger scale, or to do again what at all corresponds to that which he then did, the world has yet to witness just such scenes as are literally described under these trumpets. J.A. Seiss, 1901. The position with which I approach the passages in Revelation, especially those describing the fantastical or supernatural, and they get truly bizarre, is to consider a literal interpretation as the default. That's where I begin. Yet I also know that we cannot always take at face value the English translation of any one version. There is no single version of Scripture that is 100% correct in every word. It just doesn't exist. Some are better than others at places. That's why I've always encouraged people to have different versions available for their study. Some are better than others, even if not technically incorrect in a given passage, some will be better. There very may, well may be subtleties in the Greek that are missed in English, very often the case. Not to mention there may indeed be occasions when a non-literal interpretation is not just feasible, but even correct. Each must be evaluated in place. Now, Simeon, could I have the first PowerPoint screen? No extra charge for this this week. We get a couple new Okay. There it is. I saw it. It went by. There we go. Thank you. Mix or mingle. Now, when I read it, it said mix. Let's take the word mixed in the first portion of the sentence. Mixed with blood. Well, the King James versions use the word mingle instead. Most of our modern versions use the word mixed. So when I first encountered this, my first impression was that the word mixed in the more recent versions is simply a slightly more modern word. No big deal, no big difference. Not so. This third element of blood is the portion of this phrase that has the most varied interpretation by commentators. Where does this blood come from? And does it really mean blood or the color red? Very few of these commentators see it as literal blood falling out of the sky. Even some who subscribe to 
this church's position on the end times. Some say that what John describes is just red-colored hail. That's happened in history. Red-stained hail or rain or snow. Some, such as Walverd, based on the passage in Exodus where cattle and men caught out by the hail are bloodily bludgeoned to death by the hail, consider the possibility that this is the blood <clears throat> that mixes with the hail and fire, human blood lying on the ground. Hail comes down, mixes with the, hail, the blood. All right, let's go to the text. The Greek word translated either mixed or mingled is memigna, from the root mignami. There is another Greek word that can be translated by the same two words, mix or mingled, karanami. The venerable W.E. Vine gives us some help with the difference between the two, and by extension, help with our interpretation of blood in our passage. He writes, Karanami means a mixing of two things so that they are blended and form a compound as in wine and water. So think about that. You mix wine and water. Now, get the wine out of the water. Can't do it. I don't think. Get the water out of the wine. Nope. It's one fluid. It's one compound. You can't separate them. Where's my place? Ah. Whereas, mignamy implies a mixing without such composition, as in two sorts of grain, corn, beans. They don't mash together to make a new compound. <clears throat> Since the word in our text is the latter, mignamy, we thus conclude that the blood is not something that was mixed in with the hail, causing it to look red, to create a new compound, but is something, John calls it blood, so we'll go with that that is mingling with the other two elements, perhaps in free fall from the sky, without becoming part of them. Now, second screen, please, Simeon. This one's a bit trickier especially when you mix into the argument the Old Testament, which Rene read in the NI, from the NIV, which said lightning instead of fire, making my work a little more tough, but we'll get there. My fault for not anticipating that. <clears throat> but remember, that's Hebrew. We're not talking about Hebrew. We're talking about Greek. Whew. Fire or lightning. So let's look at just one more word from this phrase before you're utterly bored to tears. 
I won't be narrating all these details for every trumpet judgment. This is just to illustrate the process. So let's look at the word fire. Many commentators just cannot wrap their heads around God sending down literal fire from heaven. No, it's got to be something else. Quite a few interpret the word fire in there came hail and fire mixed with blood as lightning. For example, Albert Barnes, without explanation, states flat out, and fire, lightning, period, full stop. No explanation, just, of course, lightning. What are you, an idiot? All right, let's consider that. No, we know I'm an idiot. We won't consider that. The Greek word translated fire is, not surprisingly, poor. You would, you would pronounce it pyre, P-Y-R-E. The Y is pronounced U, poor. We get the words pyrotechnic, funeral pyre, pyromaniac from it. I performed a search for this Greek word in both the NASB and King James and found not one instance of it being translated lightning in the Greek, in the New Testament, not one. But John, in the Revelation, does use the Greek word for lightning. Look at verse 5, just above. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So he uses in this one verse both fire and lightning, and he uses the Greek for both fire and lightning. Now, this tells us that John knew the Greek for lightning and the Greek for fire. In verse 5, he describes lightning, which is the Greek estrope. In verse 7, he describes fire, poor. If by writing poor in verse 7, what he really meant was lightning, why didn't he just write astrape? Lightning. As he did in verse 5. He was certainly capable of doing that, but he didn't do it. He wrote fire. Now, I've included these two overly detailed examples to illustrate one aspect to my approach to determining how to interpret these challenging events in the eschaton. Notwithstanding the Spirit's counsel, we must begin with the text itself. What is in God's Word? Employing first common sense and logic, layering onto that the time frame in which it was written, all the while never forgetting that we are talking about God, not human capabilities, not human perspectives, not human experience, and not limited by the physics of a fallen universe. We're talking about God. As, as Seiss, Seiss pointed out, we're talking about God bringing an end to the world. What do you want? Plain vanilla? Of course it's going to be incredible. 
and hard for us to understand. The Lord God and his Christ are sovereign over all. He is God. Now, back to the first trumpet. Can we go back to the to our PDF, please? Simeon. Thank you. So let's be brave and take the supernatural event of the first trumpet just as it reads. There came hail and fire, mingled with blood, and they, I take that to mean those three, were thrown to the earth. To me, that states quite clearly that those were three elements thrown down to the earth by God, hail, fire, and blood. Now we consider what happened as a result of this phenomenon. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. As is common with just about all these judgments inflicted on the earth, beginning with the early seals, some argue that these consequences are localized in the Mediterranean or Middle East region. Or even, some say, restricted to Judea, what we would call Israel today. The, the nation of Israel that has the focus during the tribulation judgments. I, I haven't tracked that in detail, but I take that that perspective. Me, the tribulation as the point we've made is that it's all about the Jews, God's wrath being poured out on unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Israel. So I can see how you might say, well, okay, this is going to be localized to Judea. Yet even with even with with that, one cannot imagine that all Jews will be then dwelling in the land of Israel. Even if many return before this point, I can't see, has, have all the Jews now returned to Israel? Did they return in 1948 when it became a nation? No, of course not. They've got good lives. They, they know a different language. They, so I can't imagine that during the eschaton, all Jews would be huddled together in Judea. They'll be scattered around the globe as they are today. And the word translated earth, it's in the Greek, it's G-E, pronounced ye, offers no specificity. It's a very fluid uh, vague term. In ancient secular Greek, ye stood for the land in contrast to water or sky, three elements. In the New Testament, it can refer to the soil where seed is sown, to the globe, or to a country as part of that globe. And it is often not obvious which is meant, as here. It just says earth. I incline toward interpreting this to mean the entire earth or globe for the following reasons. 
Not because of the word itself, not because of the Greek, but for the following reasons. First, some scholars like to use the phrase, the known world, meaning the area roughly surrounding the Mediterranean. But that's man's perspective. These judgments are coming from God. I think he knows what's happening on the other side of the globe. And he knows full well at the time of the Revelation prophecy that the globe was known and inhabited far beyond the Middle East. There were things going on all over the globe. They just didn't know about it in the Mediterranean region. But God knew. Second, by the end of the Revelation, the entire globe will be either consumed and replaced or dramatically renovated. The whole thing. His judgment will be universal. So why inflict so many incremental and crescendoing judgments only in one minuscule region? And trust me, compared to other nations, Israel is minuscule. It's tiny. That doesn't track for me. Finally, the tribulation and the return of Christ is all about God inflicting his wrath against all those who have rejected his Messiah, beginning with the Jews, but including the nations. That's us. The Gentiles. Revelation 19.15. Although the focus is on Israel during the eschaton, during the tribulation. It's not limited to that. Sin and rebellion and evil are not a localized phenomenon, but universal. They dwell on every square mile of this fallen earth. For these reasons, I take earth here and most everywhere else in the Revelation to refer to the globe, the world. Now, of course, there are passages that do localize. The final, the Battle of Armageddon, it happens around Israel. Yes, that doesn't happen in China. But when it just says earth, it's a global phenomenon unless otherwise stated explicitly. Thus, in most of our newer versions, the first result of the trumpet judgment is that a third of the earth was burned up, essentially a summation of the whole. Sidebar. There are occasions, such as here, where this rank amateur can only bow to the superior scholarship of others. There are times when no one offers a detailed explanation. They just assume you know. But everyone seems to agree. So all I can do is go along. Say, okay, they know more than I and they all agree, so there we go. This is one. As M.R. Vincent puts it succinctly, this, a third of the earth was burned up, 
is added by the best texts. The King James versions lack this portion. For I take it the superior textual discoveries that include the phrase post-date the publication of the King James originally in 1600. Probably the King James version most people use today is the 1900 version. And they were based on earlier manuscripts. So in this instance, since virtually everyone says the same, I can only take their word for it. I can't offer any explanation for why other than superior manuscripts. We see a similar situation regarding this business of a third. Now Stephen rightly asks, Does that, what's the significance of a third? Well, some say it isn't a third. I know, says a third. What are you going to do? Without offering any background details, almost all commentators and expositors I've consulted state that a third is not to be taken literally. Nobody wants to tell me why. Just shouldn't take it literally. So I'm left wondering, well, on what basis do you make that statement? And my, it's frustrating. My instinct is to do just that. If the text says one-third, it means just that, as John Walford. Yet, perhaps we can find common ground in agreeing that when it comes to the destruction of nature, trees, bushes, grass, one can hardly insist on slide rule specificity or exactitude. I mean, if you say one-third of the trees were consumed, nobody's going to get out there and measure and make sure that only precisely one-third of the trees were destroyed. So I take this to mean that roughly one-third of the destruction and all the grass gone, burned up. If we're so bold as to take earth, ye, to mean the entire globe, the planet earth, the resulting destruction from the first trumpet is that one-third of the trees on the planet are burned up, all the green grass is burned up, no mention of the brown grass. and one-third of the entire earth is burned up. I suppose my understanding of the one-third, the rationale, God's rationale on the one-third is He's not doing everything at once. It's measured. His wrath is doled out some at a time. And then at some point, no more thirds, everything. And that's beginning here. One third of the entire earth is burned up. And I think 
Midwesterners can know that if the green grass is burned up, probably the brown grass went too. That would go first. So we're looking at a lot of destruction. As Walvard writes, quote, this judgment, great as it is, is only the introduction. Six more trumpets are to sound. Now I've left time for questions, comments. Greg isn't here, so you're going to have to up your game here a little bit. Yes, Jim. Did any of the commentators comment on the ecological consequences of that happening or when that happens? <clears throat> I think that there would be a trickle-down effect of losing uh, the oxygen that comes from the trees and the, the, Smoke the carbon in dioxide. The in the, yeah, exactly. I just wondered if anyone commented on that. I, I am not using any one commentator. You know, for previous studies, for Corinthians, this church, for 1 Corinthians, this church graciously gave me a stack, and I, those were my primary sources. For this, I'm using God's Word, I have the standard gabeline yellow, if you go in the pastor's study, the yellow uh, commentary set, I have that. I have some like Walvert, who's at least from our century. Uh, the rest are pretty old commentators and scholars, most highly regarded. So I'm gleaning from here and there. And the answer to your question is no. Maybe that reflects uh, the fact that ecology back in the 1800s wasn't that big of a concern. Maybe, I don't know. But yeah, I think we just have to use common sense and say, yeah, if this happens, well, this is going to happen. All the grass is gone. And a, a third of the trees, if we're right, around the globe, that's a lot. And the hail will do a lot of damage. You know, the Egyptians had mud brick buildings. Some in their temples were stone. And they, when hail and fire come down, they do a lot of damage. Well, we have wood frame houses with vinyl siding on the side. <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of destruction. Yeah, Dennis. 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 Oh, got another. Oh. I just wondered if you, uh, I understand the fire and the hail, but 
what would do you have any idea what the blood what the purpose of it coming to the earth would be I'll offer a guess in all of God's word blood is life blood must be shed to atone for sin blood is very important in fact in some portions of the old testament blood gets downright disgusting it's just flowing all over the place thousands of innocent animals give their all for to atone for sin they didn't commit it's just not fair um the only thing i can think of is that blood is important to god and he's and it's bizarre isn't it these judgments and plagues they express god's wrath but they also express a measure of hope that someone would look out their window and see blood and hail and fire coming down from the sky and fall to their knees before an almighty god who would do such a thing there are people who come to christ during the tribulation many maybe blood coming out of the sky along with fire is one reason for that i don't know no no for sure anything else yeah greg oh i'm sorry dennis first well i was just going to say i was trying to look in the old testament i know god sent fire down with elijah that consumed the sacrifice said the fire of god came down did he do one other time to consume the people and these same commentators say that was lightning that was lightning but yeah they had, whatever it was it's, it looks sounds Aren't like they doing fire just what so many of us do in this time and place trying to figure out some common thing that no they're trying to make god in their own image yeah that's true mm-hmm. well we couldn't do that and the other thing i was going to say when you were talking about maybe this will make some people repent i, I think of the verse in habakkuk uh, in wrath remember mercy you know god is always giving people a chance and someday that's going to run out people are going to run out of chances to repent there are remnants during the tribulation ordained by god set up to minister to witness so people come to christ during the tribulation how can they not with all this going on greg well i was just going to say that uh, some might look at that um, whether third is literal or just proximate or whatever and say well but at least two-thirds will be unaffected well that's mm-hmm. not true not really no uh, the two-thirds are going to be very definitely affected by the the other th- what's happening to the other third yes and this is just the beginning this is just the start of these there's four three more and then it gets really weird and nasty very nasty and this you know we've already covered roughly a third of the tribulation in our study so 
some bad things have happened. Antichrist has been introduced. Things start going. Things start happening. Judgments start. They do increase. They do get worse. And yes. So we've already covered roughly a third. And so the whole thing's only seven years. So these things happen. You know, I say, wow, we survived that. And then the next one comes. And then again. <laughs> well, what's not to say instead of a region, a third of the regions, it's every third tree. I mean, you know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, when you consider that the production of oxygen from the trees is gone, Cattle can no longer graze. There's no grass. Right. It does, in fact, affect everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Dave, I got a question back here. Or maybe it's more of a comment, just on what everyone else was sharing. Um, Listening to the one-third discussion, the significance, um, I know one thing that, I have to constantly train my brain to do is not to run, you know, run away with ideas and hypothesis about all of this. But in in our society today, as much as we like to question and the world likes to come up with scientific explanations, explanations on things, blood falling from the sky is going to not be explainable. Um, a, a third of the vegetation suddenly being burned up, however, wherever is significant and and just as you pointed out and i guess this is my point i've been sitting back here thinking god is still being merciful in 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 some way by revealing these dramatic signs to people whose hearts are just hard and and and, and have not been able to see him or experience in him in and God hasn't given them that ability to see, but he will be doing that with these signs and with these trumpets. So, Well, that kind of gets back to uh, yeah. what I said before, that, that he does some, he does this in measured amounts, giving people a chance. See what I can do. See what's going to happen. Repent. Well, and, and one other thing that, that I, I, I just think, we're so connected globally, like financially, um, through the internet. You know, if, if something happens in um, Baghdad that's noteworthy, the news is there in 10 minutes and it's broadcast all over the world. So, you know, as, as a third of the earth may be burned up on the other end of the globe, the other two thirds is going to be watching it because. But I mean, along with that, we are a global economy. Yeah. Yeah. So. All the grass burned up around the world, that's going to affect everybody around the globe. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of you, of your judgments, your wrath. We cling to your love for us expressed through your Son but we acknowledge that you are still sovereign and you are a God of wrath. 
And during this time, we will see it. Some will see it. Some will experience it. Some will die. Father, by the power of your Spirit, help us to digest this so that we, it will change our lives now. To see you for who you are, to live by your statutes, by your commandments, and by the pattern and example of your Son, Jesus the Christ. That is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen.